right, guys, welcome back to our teaching in the Gospel of John. Now, the last time we were here, we were in chapter 18, dealing with the events leading up to Jesus's trial in front of Pilate. That is, we were in the garden, and I don't want to spend a lot of time in going back over 18, but let's just make our review very short because we want to deal with chapter 19 in a single setting. But anyway, so in 18, we had Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane and Judas coming to the garden because Judas knew where Jesus would be. Jesus praying with his disciples and we saw that betrayal by Judas. Jesus, Jesus protecting his disciples, that is the other 11. Jesus protecting those disciples and submitting himself, allowing himself to be arrested by the Roman guards. Then we see Jesus being led out of the garden of Gethsemane being led before uh, Annas, and we don't want to get into all of those details, but nevertheless, Annas, and then finally, he will be led to Caiaphas. Now, even though Caiaphas was not spoken about uh, in John, John did not relate that. John only related to where Jesus was in a somewhat of a pre-trial before Annas, who is the father-in-law of Caiaphas. But nevertheless, this is the assumption that John is also giving us as well, that once Jesus is led to Caiaphas, this would be the uh, true uh, uh, rendering of judgment by the Sanhedrin to Jesus where they would find him guilty of blasphemy. And then it would be from there that these religious leaders would take Jesus to the Roman governor Pilate for the whole, for the mindset of getting Pilate to pronounce uh, the death sentence upon Jesus. Because we remember that it was the mindset of these Jewish people, these Jewish leaders, to have Jesus killed. And they wanted Jesus to be killed by the Romans. But all the while, we do remember that even though this was the desire of the people, this was also foreordained and the will of God that the Messiah should be killed in this manner. That is to be hung on a tree, to be hurt, to be crucified as we understand it. And this is what Jesus also related earlier in John chapter 12. But nevertheless, so Jesus goes before Pilate and Pilate there, uh, because he is rushed by the Jews, Pilate wants to know what is the big problem that you want me to uh, convict this man of some sort of a capital crime? Because what we have to remember is, although the Jewish leaders had condemned Jesus to death, Jesus was condemned to death in accordance to their law. That is, the, the laws of the Sanhedrin, the Mosaic laws, the, the, the idea of all of these things, Jewish laws, which ultimately was blasphemy for Jesus to say that he was God. But nevertheless, this was not against Roman law. So what the Jews had to do before Pilate was to convince Pilate that Jesus had done something against Roman law so that Jesus would be condemned to death by the Romans. Because we also remember that according to Roman law at this time, the Jews could not put a person to death. But anyway, so all of that, and I said I was going to make it short and didn't make it short, but let's just go on. So what happened? So there we have Jesus before, and I'm sorry, guys, I forgot the whole idea about G Peter uh, and his denial before be Peter's denial that he knew Jesus. So that was also in chapter 18. But nevertheless, all of this is going on before Pilate as we continue on in chapter 19 to deal with 
uh, basically that trial that is going going on before Pilate. And we also want to recall that in the mind of Pilate, the will of Pilate, Pilate understood that there was really no reason, that is, no reason in accordance to Roman law to have Jesus put to death. And that's the occasion, because remember, we have two particular issues that are facing us. The Jews with their laws, the laws of blasphemy, and the Romans' law. And what pretense can you present to show that Jesus was guilty of breaking a Roman law? And this is the hurdle that these religious leaders had to overcome. And this was the perspective to, to, to the which Pilate was looking at these things. Okay. So with all of that, let us prepare to continue on into chapter 19. Now, chapter 19 is very lengthy. And so I'm going to pray that I do not get excited. When I get excited, I always end up preaching and it takes so long to complete the chapter. But if you'll allow me, let me just teach chapter 19. If the Lord moves me, praise his name. But nevertheless, it is a lengthy chapter and we're going to try to finish all of it in one video. All right. So where are we now? We are continuing in the trial of Jesus when Jesus has now been brought before Pilate with the mindset of these Jewish leaders to find some reason to have Pilate put Jesus to death. All right, 19 and 1. Pilate then took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and put a purple robe on him. And they began to come up to him and say, Hail, the king of the Jews, and to give him slaps in the face. Pilate came out again and said to them, Behold, I'm bringing him out to you so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Jesus then came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. So the chief, so when the chief priests and the all, you know what? Let me stop there because there's so much. Now, as we work through uh, these, this text, you want to turn on the theater of your mind to see the events that are going on, right? So now, as pa what Pilate is doing here, verse number one, when Pilate sends Jesus out to be scourged, what Pilate is doing here is he is trying to find a reason to, to free Jesus. You see, he knows that these religious leaders are bringing Jesus before him because of jealousy. And Pilate knows that there is also no legal Roman reason to have Jesus executed. So just to satisfy, simply to satisfy the religious leaders, he sends Jesus out. He gives, when it says Pilate scourges Jesus, it doesn't mean that Pilate himself scourged Jesus. He gave the command to the Roman soldiers to scourge Jesus. So he gives this command so to, to placate these Jewish leaders to say, in other words, does this satisfy you? So with this, we have to understand what Pilate is doing in the scourging. What is a Roman scourging? And I don't want to get into a lot of details about this, but in a nutshell, uh, 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 let me make a comparison in this way. I did a video about that somewhere. Maybe I'll try to see if I can locate that for you guys and put it in this information in this particular video. But in the Jewish school, to compare the scourging, or should I even say the whipping that the Jews were allowed to give under the law 
to contrast it was they would take a leather whip and they would take an individual, turn him to his backside and give him, according to the law of Moses, 40 lashes. But the Jews gave 39 lashes just in case they skipped or forgot one or they overlooked. So they would always give the 39 lashes. Now, even though this was quite painful, it was yet, and it also no doubt left some sense of scars and whips, an idea of whips and painful. It was still not in the sense of, uh, uh, it didn't cause great bodily damage. Okay. It was painful. And they used a leather whip in order to do this, to give this whipping with 40 lashes. Contrasting that to what the Romans would do and what we call here, the Roman scourge, the Roman scourge is that the Romans would take a whip. They would take, uh, usually it would have a wooden handle and leather straps, a series of leather straps, more than one. And in that leather, in those straps would be embedded stone, bone, and metal. And it was designed so that when the Roman soldier would hit you, it would literally rip the flesh from your body. So every time that the Roman soldier hit you with those bones and those uh, uh, pieces of metal and stone in it, it would just literally just rip the skin and rip the flesh. It was designed to be very excruciating and painful. But not only that, when the Romans would give you a scourging, they literally hit you anywhere. They did not just simply turn your back to the to the soldiers where they would beat you. They hit you in the face, in the chest, wherever that whip land, that's where they hit you. And in, in addition to all of these things, as the Jews were limited by the law of Moses to 40 stripes, the Roman soldiers basically hit you unlimited as much it was it was without number or whatever the, 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 he could actually say whatever the number would be or whatever the the one who was in uh, uh in the head of the scourging or how many number he decided to give you so you have to understand that when Jesus underwent the Roman scourging it was brutal and oftentimes now here's what you got to pay attention guys oftentimes many people would not survive the Roman scourging so it was designed to be very excruciating, brutal, all right? And so this is what it means when Jesus did that. But also in the process, we have what? We have the taunting of the soldiers. And notice, since this whole idea, the issue that was being brought before Pilate was Jesus being a king, they taunted Jesus being a king by making a crown of thorns and placing it on his head. Again, we see not only the mockery of the Roman soldiers, but the brutality of the things that Jesus had to suffer. You cannot imagine the scourging that he received from the soldiers and then the putting this, this crown on his head and the bleeding and, and just imagine as blood would come from him and the matting and the drying of the blood and all of the painfulness of these things. And you need to remember these things as it moves towards the crucifixion of Jesus. But they did all of this and then they took the robe and put it on Jesus and, and then they, in, 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 in a mockery, instead of uh, uh, hailing Jesus as a king, they hailed him by giving him slaps in the face, hailing him as king of the Jews. And then they brought him out. So Pilate finally, after all of these things, the scourging of Jesus and the plaiting, plaiting of the 
a crown of thorns on his head. He finally brings him out. And remember now the reason why Pilate did these things, even though it was extremely brutal, the mind of Pilate was to placate the Jew. When I say placate, that simply means to satisfy. He knew the Jews were wanting to kill Jesus out of jealousy, and there was nothing in Roman law that Jesus broke that demanded Jesus' death. So Pilate is simply saying to the Jewish people, by what he has, the Jewish leaders per se, by what he has just had done to Jesus in an excruciating manner, does this satisfy you? So he goes on. So Pilate brings them out, brings Jesus out once again, and he shows them, behold, I'm bringing him out to you. Notice that you'll know that I find no fault in him. Again, notice what Pilate is saying. I've beaten him. I've had him beaten. But nevertheless, there is nothing that Jesus has done worthy that is guilty of a death sentence. But nevertheless, I have chastised him for you. So when he brought Jesus out in the despicable condition that we saw, that we see Jesus beaten, beaten by the scourging, wearing that crown of thorns, and Pilate then says to Jesus, Pilate then says to the people, behold the man. Now, I'm not going to talk a great deal on this within itself. I did a video also on that. The reason why Pilate said, behold the man. But let me just simply say it to you succinctly. If you saw Jesus, when Pilate, when Pilate and the, the, the Roman soldiers had finished scourging Jesus, Jesus was literally ident unidentifiable. Remember what I said to you, what the Roman scourging is. You took that whip with the bone, the metal, the glass, and things of that nature, where each strike of the whip was designed to rip the flesh from your body. And also, when the Romans scourged you, they didn't just simply hit you on the back, they hit you on the face. All of this comes to, uh, to fulfill the prophetic word concerning Jesus in Isaiah chapter 52 that Jesus would be unidentified by the whipping that he will be that he would receive from the Roman soldiers. So when Pilate said behold the man, Pilate is not just simply uh introducing them to Jesus, but Pilate is saying this is the one that y'all brought to me with all of those accusations. Look at him. Look at what I have had done to him. Look at his emaciated body. Does this satisfy you? Does this satisfy your blood lust? And so Pilate was simply saying, not because they couldn't identify Jesus, but uh, uh, in the sense they didn't know who he was, but Pilate is letting them know, I have beaten him to the point he is unidentifiable. And does this satisfy you? And what was their response? So now let's continue on in verse number six. So what have we seen thus far? Pilate has had Jesus truly beaten. We understand what the Roman scourge is. We understand why Pilate had these particular things done. And that is he is seeking to release Jesus, even though Jesus is truly suffering a great deal beyond our imagination, even at this point. He is not only suffering physically, 
He is not only suffering physically, but he is also suffering the shame, the spitting, the slapping in the face. But let's continue. Now, behold the man being presented to the chief priest, verse number six. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out saying, crucify, crucify. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and by that law he ought to die because he made himself out to be the son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid, and he entered into the praetorium again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you do not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Okay, now let's talk about that. So now we see Pilate lobbying for Jesus. That is, he's trying to get Jesus released. He takes him to the Jewish leaders is this beating that I've given Jesus enough? And what was the response of the leaders? No, their bloodlust was not satisfied. They didn't, they didn't want Jesus simply to be beaten beyond recognition. They wanted Jesus dead. And so what did they say to Pilate? No, sir, crucify, crucify him. So they were adamant upon what judgment they wanted Pilate to be, uh, Pilate to render for Jesus, even though Pilate said he had broken no Roman law deserving of death. And then they answered and said that what? The Jews said, we have a law that he ought to die because he made himself out to be the son of God. Now let's take some time and look at what they were actually saying. And this is what I was saying to you guys earlier. In accordance to Jewish law, Jewish law, the law that they said that Jesus had broken that demanded the death penalty was that Jesus called himself the son of God. That is, remember, as we've been working all the, all the way out through the gospel of John, the title son of God is a title of deity. And this is the whole point of John. What? In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. That word was made flesh. And what do we see all throughout John? Jesus making himself equal with God and the people wanting to stone Jesus. Jesus calling himself God and the people again wanting to kill Jesus. And the miracles that John, that is the writer of John's gospel, that John chose to include in his gospels, miracles, signs that only God can do. So we get to the high point. And this is what they were saying in according to Jewish law. What was that? Jesus made himself out to be God, and this is blasphemy. And the penalty for blasphemy is death. And this is what they were saying to Pilate. He broke our laws, and the, the law that he broke was calling himself God in the flesh, the son of God. And by this, for this reason, he ought to be put to death. But, but again, the problem is, even though this was a Jewish law 
Now, and we know, and even though Jesus did proclaim himself to be God, he didn't break the law because indeed he was and is God. But the problem is, this is Jewish law. This ain't got nothing to do with Roman law. And so therefore, what is the response of Pilate? Pilate says, take him yourselves, take him yourselves and, and you crucify him. In other words, he's broken no Roman law. I have no right nor interest to, to give this man the death penalty because he's broken no Roman capital law, a law that would demand him to be put to death. Okay, nevertheless, so we go on and when they said that to Pilate, that Jesus was the son of God, that is this title of deity, Pilate understood. Now, Pilate may not understood it properly. In other words, Pilate understood that Jesus is truly the one God in the flesh, Yahweh, the second person of the divine trinity who is coming. And he didn't understand all of the theology in the flesh, all of the theology, I'm sorry, behind these things. But nevertheless, he understood that there was something extremely sacred about who they were saying that Jesus was. And that's why we see that Pilate became what? Even more afraid because already his wife had already come to him and told him she had suffered many things in a dream because of Jesus and to have nothing to do with this mockery of a trial. So he was already on edge because of Jesus. And now they're saying that Jesus has called himself to be the son of God. He's even more afraid. So what does Pilate do? He returns back to Jesus and he begins to say, okay, tell me, who are you? But Jesus didn't speak a word to Pilate. He did not try to defend himself and nor did he try to stop. And this is what's important to see. He did not try to stop the events from taking place. Again, let me bring your attention back to something that I've been trying to tell you that John, the writer of this particular gospel, John has been trying to get us to see. This is the portrait of Jesus that John has been showing us that everything that is happening to Jesus is happening not only, not only according to the will and plan of God, but it is also in the control and will of Jesus. Jesus is very much in control. Jesus is not only that, they're not taking his life. And we'll see all of that as we work through the gospel. The events that are unfolding here are not things that are simply happening to Jesus because he's being overpowered by evil men. Jesus is in control. He is the author of these things and he is allowing these things to happen to him in order to fulfill the scripture. And as Pilate, here's the point here, as Pilate afraid is now coming to Jesus, trying to get Jesus to say something to help him. In other words, Pilate said like, Jesus, help me to stop these things from happening to you. And instead of Jesus saying something to give Pilate ammunition against these Jews who are coming against him to stop the events, Jesus says nothing. That's what you need to see. He is not trying to stop what is going on. He is in control and he is allowing these events to happen to himself. 
this persecution that will ultimately lead to himself to fulfill the will of God, to please the Father. For that's the reason that Jesus came into the world. So when Jesus didn't answer Pilate in saying uh, just who he was, and Pilate became a little bit disturbed, and it seemed like he got kind of angry, and he begins to say to Jesus, you need to answer my questions. Don't you know that I have the power to spare your life, and I also have the power to put you to death? You need to answer me because the final word of whether you live or whether you die will come from me. So answer my question, Jesus, who are you? And so Pilate is frustrated with Jesus as Pilate, even though he is speaking here in this manner, it's because he is struggling trying to save Jesus' life and he wants Jesus to help him save his life. But nevertheless, Jesus does not try to help Pilate save his life, but he does respond to Pilate's word concerning his authority. Jesus said to Pilate, you have no authority over me. That is in and of yourself. You have no power over me. The only reason why you have this authority over me, it is because God, that's what Jesus is speaking, God has granted you this authority. This is according to the divine plan of God, that you should have this authority over me. And we know, we know ultimately in using that authority, we know, we know, we know, this would lead to the condemnation of Jesus's death. And then Jesus made a pilot aware. Now, there is a fault that you do have because always, and we don't want to get into all of that discussion uh, of the of the fault of Pilate because what? We've already been talking about how Pilate has been doing everything he can to set Jesus free. But nevertheless, Pilate will be the one to condemn Jesus to death because as he just said, I have the power to set you free. I have the power to put you to death. So the book stops with Pilate, even though he's trying to free Jesus. So Pilate does share responsibility in the death of Jesus. But what Jesus continues to say to Pilate here is, ultimately, the greater sin is not to you because what you're doing is acting in a lot of ignorance and many things, but you are still wrong. But the greater sin is to the religious leaders who brought me to you. The greater weight of sin, charge of sin, applicability of sin, judgment for sin will be to those who brought me to you. And that's what Jesus says to Pilate. Okay, so now let's continue. We got a long way to go. I guess I hope you guys have your coffee out. Verse number 12. As a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him, but the Jews cried out saying, if you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. Therefore, when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out, sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king. So they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. 
Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. Okay, so now we are in the final, according to John's gospel, we're in the final wranglings that Pilate is having with the Jewish leaders, uh, etc., the Jewish people. So he, br he brings Jesus out after Jesus has said, well, you have no authority over me. And what he continues to make, he tries to get Jesus released. But what happens? The people, namely the religious leaders, came to Pilate and said, if you release this man, that is Jesus, you are no friend of Caesar. Okay. Now here's what you got to understand. What was going on with this? Uh, uh, they were using a political play, political play against Pilate here. Right at, at up until this point, the leaders have not convinced Pilate uh, to execute Jesus at this point. And Pilate is still pushing to have Jesus released, and they know that. And so the final card in which they play is this. They're saying to Pilate, to do so, to release Jesus, you are showing that you are not Caesar's friend, and we are going to make sure that these events come to the ears of Caesar, into which there was a man by the name of Jesus of Nazareth, who called himself king. He was a king above Pilate. He was a king, I'm sorry, a king whom Caesar did not say is king. He was a king above Caesar himself. He was a king greater than Caesar. And when all of this stuff came to Pilate, that this one, called, one Jesus of Nazareth made himself king, Pilate didn't do anything about it. Pilate's responsibility is to protect the throne, to protect the throne of Caesar. But when we brought these things to Pilate, Pilate showed he was not Caesar's friend. Why? Because Pilate did not render judgment against Jesus of Nazareth and have him executed. So, calming down, what were the Jewish leaders saying? When they said to release Jesus, to reach Jesus, I'm sorry, to release Jesus shows you are no friend of Caesar. They were simply saying to Pilate, we will report you back to Caesar that a man calling himself to be king, calling himself to be king, you did nothing about it. And in what would happen to Pilate, I'm sorry, yeah, that's correct. What would then happen to Pilate is not only would his governorship be threatened by Caesar, but also his life. And that's what the whole point of that was all about. They were actually threatening Pilate's governorship and his life saying, and we'll tell Caesar that you allowed this so-called Jewish king to do what the, do the things that he did. And this is why when Pilate heard that in verse number uh, da, 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 13, therefore, when Pilate heard these words, when Pilate knew that his behind would be in the hot seat, he brought Jesus out before the final judgment. And that's what we see taken down here. The judgment seat now. Okay, it's time for Pilate to finally render the judgment. What are you going to do, Pilate? Are you going to set him free or are you going to uh, issue judgment 
unto death. So Pilate brings, has the judgment seat brought out. Jesus is brought out. He's prepared to render his official and final judgment. And so he says, what? What do you want me to do? What Do you want me to release the king of the Jews or what? And, and why Pilate referred to him as the king of the Jews, it seemed to suggest that Pilate was trying to, to gather some sympathy for Jesus. Do you want me to crucify your king? But once again, what? Led by the religious leaders, that is the people. The people, religious leaders acting like a bunch of cheerleaders, moving the crowd of people. Because remember now, remember, it was the Passover. Let's go back again. It was the Passover, and there was a specific custom that Pilate, the governor, had given the people that he would release a prisoner uh, to make the people happy as a custom on the Passover. And Pilate was trying to get Jesus released on that time, okay? But what was going on? The religious leaders acting like a bunch of cheerleaders were moving the people instead of getting Jesus released, which was Pilate's point. That was Pilate was trying to do. They were moving Pilate, moving the people to a rally Pilate to get Barabbas, a crooked man, released. And this is what's going on. As Pilate is sitting on the judgment seat to finally render official judgment, this is what's going on. Who do you want me to release? And the leaders are rallying and saying, release Barabbas. And as far as Jesus is concerned, crucify him. And this becomes the official uh, judgment of Pilate. But before we get into all of that, let's still go back. So John wants us to understand, verse number 14, it is the day of preparation for the Passover. That is, it was that Friday morning, early Friday morning. And John is very specific that we should understand that the times for these events was the season of the Passover. And the reason for all of that is, again, when we go back to Exodus chapter 12, and we talked about that, if you've been following me in the teachings of John. In Exodus chapter 12, when the nation of Israel was delivered from Egyptian oppression, God commanded them to sacrifice a lamb, and this became the Passover lamb. This spoke spiritually of what Jesus would provide for his people as the blood of the Passover lamb uh, 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 provided salvation and redemption for the Israelites coming out of Egypt, it would be the blood of the Messiah Jesus that would provide salvation for his people as well. And so we see that it has happened according to the will and timetable of God that Jesus should die on the Passover. Why? Because Jesus is the Passover lamb. And we see John, the writer of John's gospel, making clear to us the timing for these events, it is happening in the time of the Passover, but in particular, say the day of the preparation. And that is, this is the time when the Jewish people are preparing to celebrate the, the Passover. And remember, immediately after the Passover is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And they were therefore looked at basically as one celebration because they were so close together. 
But nevertheless, John is letting us know the timing for these events. All right. So what happens? The official rendering for Jesus. When Pilate trying to get Jesus uh, released, he says, finally, what do you want me to do with Jesus? Your king, the religious leaders moving the people to have Jesus crucified. They declared we have no king but Caesar. And remember, Pilate's words, Jesus, your king. And they said to Pilate, we don't have a king. Our king is Jesus. Now, they here is showing the rejection of Jesus. And also, too, we're going to see where this idea of Jesus being king will play out later on in the crucifixion of Jesus. All right. But what do we have? We have now the completion now of the trial of Jesus and Pilate has rendered his verdict for Jesus, even though he didn't want to have Jesus officially put to death. But because of the pushing of the Jewish leaders, remember, if you let Jesus go, you're not Caesar's friend. In other words, your butt is going to be in trouble. Pilate gives them the judgment that they want, and he has Jesus uh, officially executed. He renders the judgment that Jesus is guilty of uh, uh, sedition against Rome, okay? And therefore, Jesus should be put to death. Okay, let's see how far can we go. Uh, we're in verse number 16. So what happens? So he then handed Jesus over, handed him over to them to be crucified. They, they took Jesus, therefore, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two other men, one on either side and Jesus in between. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It was written, Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. Therefore, many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews were saying to Pilate, do not write the King of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Okay, so now, with the verdict, with Pilate having given judgment concerning Jesus, guilty of death, the soldiers therefore take Jesus out in order to be crucified. Now, I don't want to talk a lot about crucifixion and know about the different differences in the types of crosses that were used, but nevertheless, it was basically a T type wooden cross that they would take Jesus out and they would take large nails and they would plant the nails, not in the hands of Jesus, but in the, the, uh, the, under the wrist of Jesus so that he wouldn't pull through. So they'd take him out, stretch him out in this T fashion. And on the cross, they would have a little base where the, where the feet would be a little base where the feet would be. And they would take the feet and wrap them one over another and tie them up and then also put uh, the same nail in the feet where the feet could not come. Now, this, of course, would be extremely painful as Jesus lay on the ground and they hammer these things into him 
and uh, uh, but ne and he would also bleed. But nevertheless, this does not kill you. And then after doing such things, but, and, and what you have to remember about the Roman crucifixion was this. It was not designed for you to die fast. Crucifixion by the Romans was designed to be an agonizing death that occurred over many days. So they didn't want you to die fast. They wanted you to take days to die. So you were to, to suffer and die. And everybody, you were to be an example for people to look at as you sat there day after day, slowly, slowly dying in great agony and pain, which is also some of the reasons why they did some of the things that they did. We'll talk about all of those things. But this is what it means to say that they simply crucified Jesus. They took him there and they boom, and they dropped that thing into the hole. But before that, what they would also do is they would take the beam to the which the person would be crucified on, that beam that goes across the, sh the, the shoulders of the person, and also with the charges over him, all right? And that person would take that beam and walk it out to the place of where they would be crucified. Now, even though John does not include it in his gospel, and, and, and it's a beautiful thing how it gets it to, so I guess I probably shouldn't uh, speak much about it, but we find out from other gospel writers that Jesus, because of the Roman whipping, remember what I told you guys about the scourging? Many times people would not survive a Roman scourging. Jesus was beat so bad and that Jesus couldn't carry his own uh, beam out to the place where he would be crucified. And therefore, they, they called a person by, by the name of Simon of Cyrene and told him, you take the beam for Jesus. And we see this because Jesus was almost beaten to death. Uh, in the Roman scourging, he really couldn't even take the, he couldn't take the cross. He just kept, uh, now look at it in your mind. He just kept collapsing, trying to take that beam out and he would collapse and he would collapse and he just couldn't take it out. And so they just told Simon, get the thing and bring it out. He can't take it out. And so we finally get him out there and then you put him down on all of these things and wham, wham. And then you drop that stone into, drop that uh, cross into the ground. And this is when Jesus is being crucified. And then whenever a person is crucified, you have the charges that are laden against them, put on the, the little placard above their head. And so Pilate had them put on there and notice that Pilate wrote on there. It simply means by authorization of the pilot. Pilate didn't do any of these things of himself. The Roman soldiers did these things authorized by Pilate, commanded by Pilate to do these things. So the charge, what it, so what, what were the, what was the reason that, what law did Jesus break uh, uh, to show that Jesus broke Roman law and was guilty of this death? What is the charge, Roman charge against him? And that's when Pilate had written, this is Jesus, the Nazarene, the king of the Jews. So in understanding the charge, the charge is sedition to make yourself a king apart from Caesar or even a king above Caesar. It's the charge for sedition. So that's the Roman reason why Jesus was put to death. Remember what the Jewish reason were. The Jewish reason was because Jesus made himself out to be God. He called himself the son of God, that is, 
blasphemy. But nevertheless, so the charge was against Jesus. And this charge was placed in uh, Hebrew, Aramaic, in Hebrew, in Latin, and in Greek. And the reason why, because these were the uh, languages of the day, the trade languages, the common languages of the day, so that all would be able to read the charge against Jesus. So when the Jewish leaders, so people could see this charge. So when the Jewish leaders saw this charge that Jesus, uh, Jesus the Nazarene, king of the Jews, they took issue with that with Pilate because they did not want Jesus to be called the king of the Jews. They hated Jesus. And so they went to Pilate and said, don't put it on the, on the charge that way. Say that he said he is the king of the Jews. And Pilate taking one last stab at the Jews. So you got to remember, Pilate is already angry with them because they have pushed his hand, you know, friend of Caesar. And then Pilate would get in trouble if they sent that report back to Caesar. So Pilate is angry because they've already pushed his hand to have Jesus executed for no good reason at all. And now they're coming to Pilate and saying to him, change the charge that's over the head of Jesus to say that Jesus said that he is king of the Jews. Jesus is not our king. Pilate takes one last stab at them and he simply says to them, what? Whatever I have written is going to stay right there. I have written what I have written. Or in other words, I ain't changing nothing. And so Pilate is angry with them because of what they forced him to do. All right. So now let's continue. Verse 23. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, they took his outer garments and made four parts, a part to every soldier and also the tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece. So they said to one another, let us not tarry, but cast lots for it to decide whom, whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture. They divided my outer, they divided my outer garments and among them and for my clothing, they did cast lots. Therefore, the soldiers did these things, but let's stop there. Okay. So, and this is a very easy part. So now Jesus is on the cross and Jesus is now being crucified. And so what the Roman soldiers would commonly do, whatever properties or belongings, namely the clothes basically was all they had of Jesus, they would take that and they took his clothing and simply divided it amongst themselves. However, the outer garment of Jesus, the outer cloak, that's what we call this tunic of Jesus. It was a valuable, it was a valuable cloak in the sense that it was a seamless clothing, you know, it wasn't made of many different parts. The other parts, they divided with themselves, but this outer garment was seamless and also valuable and it was expensive. So they didn't want to try to mess that up. So what did they do? They cast lots in a sense of gambling, of pulling sticks. You, whoever got the longer stick or the shorter stick or whatever, this is what it means by the casting of the lots. So they did some little mechanism to decide who would receive the tunics. So they did that. And this all was done to fulfill that which was spoken of in Psalm 22. What? That they divided the garments of the suffering Messiah. See, Psalm 22 is all about the Messiah in his suffering. They divided the garments of the suffering Messiah. And what? For that outer tunic, they cast lots to determine who would get that. 
So what we see here is Jesus' death in fulfillment of scripture. And John, the writer, the writer of the gospel, John, drawing our attention back to things to fulfill scripture. And what John is doing, and we'll see that in John's account, John is speaking in such a way to say, I am giving you, I, John, am giving you an eyewitness account that these things did take place. And that's important as we understand John's gospel and the crucifixion of Jesus. John is really pushing to say, I'm giving you an eyewitness account. I saw these things. And when I saw these things, I understood that it was in fulfillment of scripture. So John is saying, I saw these things. Eyewitness account here in the crucifixion of Jesus and even in other places. As When we get even to the end of John's gospel, just remember that we said that John pushes the fact of having a personal eyewitness of counting these things. All right. But anyway, so that's what's going on here. The soldiers did it uh, in accordance to fulfill uh, Psalm 22, the suffering Messiah, his clothes being split between the soldiers and his tunic being gambled for, that is casting of lots for. In the verse 25, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus then saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. From that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. After this, Jesus knowing, okay, let me just stop here because there's a little talking we need to do on the rest of it. So Jesus is being crucified. And in the agony, in all of the agony that Jesus is going through. And this, this again, what John is trying to allow us to see. And I cannot emphasize this enough. Jesus is in full control. And Jesus has full awareness of himself, of the events, of everything that is happening around him. And Jesus is handling these events. He is not just simply dying because they're killing him. Everything that I have just said about Jesus being in control. This is the perspective that John is pushing to us. He wants us to see this. So what's going on? Jesus is on the cross. He's literally dying. Okay, dying. Right? And what? He looks down and there he sees number of people there, namely John, uh, the writer of this gospel, one of his apostles, and his mother, Mary, and along with other women at the cross. And no doubt they are weeping greatly. And Jesus remembers his responsibility according to the law of Moses. That is, as the firstborn son of Joseph and Mary, it was Jesus's responsibility to care for his mother. However, Jesus is about to, to die. So what you need to understand is what is going on here. At this time, remember in John chapter 7, and we're not going to get into all of this, John chapter 7, but just go back and you'll find out that the, the literal biological brothers of Jesus, Jesus' own half-brothers, biological brothers, did not believe that Jesus 
was the Messiah, the son of God. And so what Jesus is doing here is this, instead of putting into putting his mother into the care of his unbelieving physical brothers, Jesus put his put the care of his mother into his believing brother, that is John the disciple. See, John was not a biological brother of Jesus, but he was a believer of Jesus. And Jesus is simply, uh, and let me just simply say it this way, temporarily transferring the care of his mother to the apostle John because his physical biological brothers did not believe in Jesus. So he gave that care to John. And that's why Jesus said to his mother, behold your son. And what John said to John, behold your mother. Mary, John is responsible for your care in my absence. And John, I'm going to be gone. Take care of my mother. Now we know that later on, Jesus appeared and we're not getting all of that because that's not the discussion, but he did appear to his brother, James, his half-brother, James, and probably no doubt it was changed. Maybe. I don't know. The Bible doesn't get into it. But nevertheless, James, his half-brother, later on did become a believer. But this is all we see here at the cross. Jesus being in what? Control and Jesus giving uh, his responsibility of caring for his mother to his disciple, John. Now, let's keep going. Now, let's get into the point. 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had been already been accomplished to fulfill the scripture, said, I am thirsty. A jar full of, full of sour wine was standing there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. He bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Okay, guys, there is a lot to be said right here. So let me take my time. So notice again how John is giving the perspective of Jesus being in complete control. 28, Jesus, what? Knowing that all things had already been accomplished. The very nature of how he's speaking of Jesus, how he has been speaking of Jesus on the cross suffering and still he's handling business to John. This is your mother and this is your, to Mary, this is your son. And Jesus is in full control and Jesus cogniz cognizantly aware of things. The perspective of John. Notice again, Jesus now, after suffering to a point, he knows what all things have been accomplished. Everything that God had designed for Jesus, for his earthly life, all that God wanted Jesus to do for his life on earth had now been accomplished. And John said, Jesus was aware he was at this point. See again, what I've been trying to tell you, John's perspective of Jesus being in totally control from the moment that he was what at the final Passover, going into the garden of Gethsemane, going to where the soldiers came to Jesus and said they were looking for Jesus and Jesus knocking them to the ground. Jesus is in control. But anyway, so 
in order to fulfill the scriptures, Jesus simply says what? I am thirsty. So in according to fulfill the scriptures of Psalm what, 69, something like that, Jesus does everything perfectly to the will of God and to fulfill scripture. And even again, what do we see? That Jesus is in control. He says what? I am thirsty. He speaks out loud in all of the agony and pain. So the soldiers hearing this goes and get a vinegar, fill a sponge uh, with, with a, goes and get a sponge with a vinegar mixture of something, some type of a vinegar mixture of something. Now, this was different. We see two counts. Okay, now I don't want to get into all of this because I know it's long. But just in case, because uh, some people say something's wrong. The first one of the counts says Jesus did, refused it. And another here, it says Jesus received it. What is he, did he receive it or did he reject it? Okay, you have to understand there are two things that took place. There are uh, the soldiers took a vinegar mixture with Jesus in one case, the first case. All right. And gave it to Jesus. When Jesus tasted that, Jesus rejected that. And it was because that particular mixture was designed to lull the pain. That it is like taking it like an aspirin or something that we can understand it in that day. So they gave that mixture to Jesus in order to dull the pain. So it was somewhat of an act of mercy in dulling the pain of the victim on the cross. Okay. When Jesus tasted that mixture, he rejected it. And he, and so wonderful it was that Jesus rejected it. And I won't get excited because it was the will of God that Jesus take the full measure of God's wrath on the cross. All of it had to be answered for. He had to take upon himself in his flesh, the full wrath of God with nothing missing, so that what? Any, any and all sins can be answered for. Nothing, no sin that we could commit that could never be said. If I did this with God, could God forgive me if I killed a hundred people? Could God forgive me if I killed a million people? Could God forgive me for the worst of sins? And this is how it speaks when Jesus, when they brought that first mixture to him and he rejected it. Why? He took the full wrath in order that what? All sin, any sin can be forgiven. All right. Now we are here in John's gospel. When they bring, when Jesus himself says what? I thirst. And they bring to Jesus another mixture, but this time he receives it. This is not a mixture to dull the pain. This is just a mixture here to, 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 to not, not so much as quench the thirst. Let me say it this way. Let me say it properly. To dampen his mouth so that he can speak. You got it? I am thirst. It fulfills the scripture. Because the scripture has written that he would say these things and it allows for them to dampen his mouth so that he can speak. And the reason why I said that is because it dampens his mouth so that he can speak his final words. But before we get into that, so they brought this thing to him. 
They dampened his mouth when he said that he thirsted. And therefore, once his mouth was finally, they, okay, I, I can now speak. He says his final word, it is finished. All right. This is the Greek word to talistai. What Jesus literally said was, all, that's why it took us back at verse number uh, 28, knowing that all things was accomplished. Now that all things are accomplished, he's able to say what? It is finished. And as another biblical writer says, he cries out with a loud voice, <laughs> a loud voice, a loud voice to mankind, even to heaven in great testimony. And this is not a testimony of sadness. This is a testimony of great joy. It is finished. To Palestine. Now, looking back on everything that God would have Jesus to do, to end in his own suffering and death. Now that Jesus is about to die, it is finished. He has lived the life that God has wanted him to live. He has preached the preaching that God has wanted him to preach. He is now being offered up as a sacrifice for sin as God has desired him to be offered as a sacrifice for sin. And he is now that they wet his mouth, able to say it is finished. I have done the will of God. But there's another side to this, to Telestai. In Greek uh, 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 um, commerce, in Greek commerce, it was a very common thing that say, for instance, if if I if I borrowed money from you and 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 I owed you and there was a bill that was that that was presented to me, and once I finally finished paying the bill, once I finished paying you all the money that I owed you, you would stamp on my bill to Talistai. That is, you would stamp on my bill paid to Talistai. Not only means it is finished, it also means in Greek commerce. It is paid. And I bet you some of you guys are already understanding what God is trying to say. Jesus' last words, not only have I finished doing all that the Father would have me to do in this life, but what? The price for sin itself is what? Is paid. I've done what the Father has sent me to do. I have paid the price for sin. To Telestai. So Jesus' last words, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, his last words is victory, victory. And then saying that, notice what he says. And what? Now let's go to the end of it. Remember everything that I've been saying, the perspective that John has been trying to give to us about Jesus. Notice the, the notice the wording. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is so important that you understand the language here. What? When Jesus knew what? He had done everything that the Father had desired him to do. All things had been accomplished. When Jesus knew what? As he said himself, it is finished. It is paid. Notice, go back in time when Jesus said these words, no man takes my life from me. 
I have authority to lay my life down. I have authority to take it up again. Notice the perspective that John has been giving us about Jesus throughout his gospel. Jesus is in full control. Again, you cannot kill Jesus. No man can kill Jesus. Jesus has to voluntarily lay down his life. And that's what we see happening here. Jesus says he knows time has come. And let me say it this way as if I was Jesus. And now I have done everything my father wanted me to do. I have paid everything that my father has desired for me to pay. And now I am going to die. The cross, the cross did not kill Jesus. Men did not kill Jesus. Jesus allowed himself to die. Again, what did it say? He bowed his head. He gave up his spirit. They didn't take a doggone thing. Nobody can kill Jesus. Okay, so I'm coming all the way down. Let's bring it all the way back to zero so I can keep teaching. So what do we see once again as John pushes that perspective of Jesus being in absolute control? Jesus died when he wanted to at the appointed time of the Father. And thus he declared it was finished, the will of God, it was paid the price for sin. Verse 31 then the Jews, because it was the day of preparation, so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that the Sabbath was a high day, asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other who was crucified with him. But coming to Jesus, when they saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs, but one of the but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen has testified and his testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth so that you also may believe. For these things came to pass to fulfill the scripture. Not a bone of him shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they pierced. Okay, now this part, saints, it's a beautiful theology involved, but it's not easy. Okay, what has happened? Jesus has now died. It is finished. He has given up his life. And so it is the preparation day. John takes us back. He said, now you got to remember, this is the season of the Passover, and since it's the season of the Passover, the Jewish leaders did not want a body to remain on the cross. According to the law of Moses, I think it's what Deuteronomy is either Deuteronomy like 22, Deuteronomy through to 34. But whatever it is, according to the law, if capital punishment is given to a particular individual and that individual is therefore hanged, do not allow the body to hang throughout the night because to do so, is to profane the land. It will profane the land to make the land accursed. How much more so? Why? 
This is the season of the Passover. Remember, this is Friday. And Friday evening at twilight is the celebration for what? The Passover meal. Jesus died, died basically on the Passover and they want to get rid of the body. They want to have the bodies removed before that particular time comes. So this is what's going on. Before the Sabbath come, which is the high day, that is the Friday evening come. The Friday evening which would be the Sabbath, which is also coinciding with the uh, celebration of the Passover feast itself. You got it. That's how Jesus died. They wanted the bodies to be taken down. So what happened? The, they don't want to. They don't. They don't want to defile anything. So the leaders go to Pilate and they ask for Pilate to have the uh, 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 get the bodies removed. They want them to go ahead and break the legs break the legs so that the so that they would die and they could then have the bodies removed. Now, let me explain that. So what are they asking? They're saying to Pilate, I say, okay, okay, in the mind of the Jewish leaders, Jesus, we want him, he's dead. We, we want him to die or go ahead and die. But now we need him to die before the time of the Passover celebration because this is defile the land and blah, blah, blah. So let's get Pilate to have the Roman soldiers break their legs so that he can go ahead on and die so that we can uh, get the body down from the cross and so this doesn't uh, defile our land. Why the breaking the leg? Why breaking the leg? Do you remember when I told you guys that the cross that they had uh, for crucifixion for Jesus, not only did they have the thing stretched out for the arms, remember that, and the, 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 the nails to put into the wrist of Jesus and the nails put into the feet, they would also have this little, the little boot, a little boot placed under the feet, a little boot placed under the feet. When I say a little boot, it's a little thing that you can stand on and push yourself up, placed under the feet. The reason why this boot was placed under the feet was this. Normally, when a person would die of crucifixion on, on, uh, on the cross, they didn't usually die because of bleeding out because of the blood would bleed out because the blood would usually coagulate some around the wrists and around the feet. It would usually coagulate around the wrist and, and those uh, nails that would be put in there and they wouldn't bleed to death. But what would happen is because of that internal bleeding and the things that they would suffer in crucifixion, normally what would happen is the lungs would begin to fill up with water. Okay, this is called asphyxiation, asphyxiation. The lungs would fill up with water. And so as the lungs would be filling up with water, it's just swelling inside internally, dying this way. What they would do is they would on the boot where the feet was, they would push up. They would use the feet to push up. And when they would push up, this was sometimes this would take the pressure from off the lungs inside and they could breathe. And so every time the lungs begin to push up, being on that cross, you can imagine just the body just laying weak and suffering and the, and, and the fluid starting to build on the lungs and, and they had hard time to breathe. And then all of a sudden they'll take their legs, push up on that little boot and, and then they can kind of go and, and suffer a little bit. See, this was a part of the suffering that the Romans intended you to do. So with all of this in mind, the Jewish leaders knew they understand crucifixion. They knew that Jesus would be able to do what? Push up with his feet, catch a little breath 
and continue to live. And so what they said to Pilate, send the soldiers to break his leg to stop Jesus from pushing up so that he could go ahead on and die. All right. But what they didn't realize was before they had done this, Jesus had already died. He had already what given up his own spirit. So what happened? The Roman soldiers being sent out from Pilate went out. Remember, Jesus was in, in between these two uh, persons, these two criminals. And they broke the legs of the two criminals so that what we just said could happen to them. They could stop pushing up and go on and die. But when they got to Jesus, they, they, they noticed, they said, hmm, he looks like he was already dead. He looks like he was what? Already dead. And so what the, and so they didn't break Jesus' leg. They didn't break his leg. And this was to fulfill the scripture. Not a bone of him would be broken. We see that in numbers and we all, because Jesus is the Passover lamb. Remember Exodus chapter 12, the commandment of Exodus chapter 12 for the Passover lamb, do not break his bones. This simply prophetically fulfills Jesus is that Passover lamb. So therefore they didn't break the lamb, the bones of Jesus. But not only that, here what we have, the soldier seeing Jesus's body, he seemed like Jesus was already dead. So instead of breaking his leg, he took his spear and stuck him in the side. What he was doing was he was literally testing if Jesus moved, jumped, or flinched in any way, Jesus, that would be the evidence what? He was still alive. And then of course they would do what? They would break Jesus' leg. But when he stuck Jesus in the side, he didn't move. He didn't blunt because what? He was a dead body. And what came out? Water and blood. And this is what John was trying to say. They pierced him in the side. And then he says, this is the language. Let me deal with it. And he who has seen has testified and his testimony is true. He knows he's telling you the truth so that you may believe as well. Okay. What is John doing and why is John talking this way? John, again, remember what I told you, how John writes his gospel and John emphasizes he is giving you a first person testimony. I am an eyewitness of these things. So John is saying what? Jesus actually and physically did. Now, I don't want to get into a lot of details about this point, but primarily what John is saying is this. Jesus actually died on the cross. It was a physical body and that physical body died. And in this, in, in this particular scene, what scene? When the soldiers came out to break Jesus' leg uh, in order to go ahead and expedite his death, they found out he was already dead. And the soldiers, when he tried to check to see if Jesus had already dead, he took that spear and speared him in the side water and blood came out and this was real. This was what? Real water and real blood. Remember I told you the asphyxiation or whatever that pronunciation, a drowning of your own internal fluids, okay? Came out when they pierced his side and pierced his lungs. And what John is saying is, what John, let me, let me say this. 
John is not trying to give some spiritual meaning. I'm a little tired, guys, because this is going so long, but I want to deal with all of it. John is not trying to give some spiritual meaning to the water and the blood that came from the side of Jesus. That is not what John is doing here. That's why John speaks in what he says. He who has seen and testified knows the truth. He who knows is telling the truth. So that you may John is simply saying, I saw the blood. I saw the water. What? So that you will know it was a physical body of Jesus that died on the cross. You see, later on, John is going to have to deal with that point. That's in the God, it's in the first epistle of John, in which people will actually deny that Jesus had a physical body. They will believe in the deity of Jesus that he is God, but they will not believe in the humanity of Jesus. That's why Jesus, John will later on say in verse John that if anyone does not say that the Christ, Jesus, did actually come in the flesh, he is antichrist. Jesus had a physical body. So what John is teaching here is Jesus had a physical body, physically, physically died on the cross. I was there. I saw it. And it was blood and water that came. And I was sitting there right there looking at it. And as we go back to the scripture, John is simply saying, so there was what? No need to break his legs because he was dead already. And then again, there was no need to break his leg. Why? So that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Not a bone of him was broken. And then again, in verse number 37, the reason why that soldiers pierced him in the side, again, Zechariah chapter 12, John is using an application of the scripture. They will look upon him whom they pierced. In other words, John is saying that Jesus, the Messiah, would be pierced. So therefore, what? The soldier had to pierce him. And again, the soldiers would not break Jesus' legs. Why? Because the scripture says, do not break a bone of the Passover lamb. Okay? Exodus 12, Exodus 12 as well as in dealing with Psalm 22. All right. Let's bring it to a close. After these things... Now Jesus is dead. We have a verification from the soldiers. He is now dead. And this, remember, they wanted Jesus to be uh, uh, dead and taken off that cross before the high day, before the time for the celebration of the Passover and the Sabbath. 38. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate granted permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen wrappings with spices, as, it, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Therefore, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was already nearby, they laid Jesus there. Okay, now Jesus is dead, and now we have movement in the heart of two particular men 
to prepare Jesus's dead body for burial. We have Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Now, Joseph of Arimathea, these men were both members of the Sanhedrin, the council of uh, the religious council of the Jewish people. They did not consent to the things that were done to Jesus. Remember, it was the uh, Sanhedrin council who were responsible for having Jesus put to death. But these two men were not a part of that. They were believers that Jesus indeed was the Messiah, but they didn't confess Jesus to the council, nor did they confess Jesus publicly. And we understand why, because of fear of the religious leaders for the love of men, for the praise of men, and because of being put out of the synagogue. But at the very end, we see some things. They took strength. So we can now applaud them, which they were once secret admirers and believers of Jesus. They have now come out the closet and they are asking for the body of Jesus, Joseph of Arimathea, in whose tomb Jesus would be buried and Nicholas uh, uh, Nicodemus, Nicodemus, and this is the man that we see early in the Gospel of John, I believe it's chapter three, who came to Jesus by night. Lord, we, we believe that you are a teacher who have come from God because no man can do the things that you do except the things, except God is with him. And so now Nicodemus seems to have come to an understanding of what Jesus was saying to him and what we call John 3 and 16 for uh, God that is the father so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and that that son should be lifted up, should die for our sin. But nevertheless, we have these two men coming to Pilate and they asked for the body of Jesus. They took it down from the cross and they had spices. There, of course, there would be a custom that the Jews would have in anointing the body of Jesus. So they came with about 75 to 100 pounds of spices to anoint the body of Jesus. But what you have to remember is it is moving towards the evening time and the time of the Sabbath is near at hand. So they quickly, with a few spices, as quick as they can, anoint the body of Jesus and bury Jesus in the tomb. What you, what you have to remember is they didn't give Jesus the customary burial that they wanted to in the complete sense because the Sabbath is drawing near. It is the evening time to the which the Sabbath would come. It's drawing near. So they have to work really fast and get Jesus buried as quick as possible. And this is what we see happening here. And they bury Jesus in this tomb, in a stone hewn out tomb, a, a very wealthy place, this also does uh, agrees with the scriptures where Jesus will be numbered amongst the wicked. That is crucified between those two soldiers and then have his, have his burial in a wealthy place in this tomb of this fashion. To be buried in a rock is a wealthy place to which Jesus was also buried. Okay, so these men come, uh, anoint the body of Jesus in this way quickly and have him quickly buried because the Sabbath is soon to come and Jesus is finally buried. All right. All right. Let's stop there. Thanks, guys, for joining me in all of that. So what do we see as we look back in chapter 19? We have the official rendering of a verdict by Pilate 
where Jesus is now rendered as guilty of sedition against Rome. And in all of that, we see the brutality of the things that Jesus suffered and the scourging of Jesus, the plating of crowns put on his head, and then the crucifixion of Jesus, how Jesus was not able to bear his own cross as he went into this place of a stone and that go God that just simply is nothing so much as spiritual about that. It just simply means a place where it was carved out that looked like a stone and where Jesus was taken and Jesus was ultimately crucified. But nevertheless, John shows that Jesus was in uh, complete control as Jesus uh, remitted his authority to John at the, at the, as John was at the cross, authority over his mother and tells his mother that John is going to take care of you. And Jesus being aware that everything that the father had desired for him to do, he had therefore accomplished it. And Jesus declared to Talestai, it is finished. It is paid. And Jesus gave up his spirit and Jesus gave up his own life. And with after that, those men came, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, taking Jesus' body down hurriedly and, and, and trying to anoint his body in some way with those spices and then quickly placing him in that stone tomb to be buried. Okay, and with that, it seems that there's a sad story to the end of Jesus, but we know that is not the case. So join me next time as we move into chapter 20 and where we'll find out the one who had suffered and died truly has Tetelestai paid and victory. Truly he has victory because he will rise from the dead. But anyway, as we always say, thank you guys for joining me with all of these things. If these video teachings have been a blessing to you and you can say, Pastor Lee, thank you for that. Will you please join me in support of this ministry? There is always a link in the description that you can use to support the ministry. And for those of you who have done so, let me say thank you. But anyway, guys, God bless you. See you next time.